Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP. Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. said that C meant average. 
And for some reason at that young age, I wanted to be average. I could have probably just as easily made A's, but I went for the uh, that, 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 that sounds... That, no, that makes a lot of uh, sense. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, us who are different uh, try very hard <laughs> to be average. <laughs> it yes. never works out that way, but uh, uh, I, I can identify with and understand that particular struggle. A friend of mine had told me that he had, uh, now this happened a couple of years later, he had snuck into the, to his teacher's to the classroom during lunch and there were all these papers out and he started looking at them and they were IQ tests and there was a list and he said that mine was like right almost at the exact top and it was at that same time that they took me out of the classroom and put me working on these SRI reading courses all by Uh myself and uh, in fact the first one the teacher left, and then she came back in about 20 minutes, and she said, why aren't you working? And I said, I'm through. And she said, you're through. And I said, yes. She said, let me see your paper. And I showed it to her, and she scooped up my box and left, and then came back with a different colored box. And that happened again, and then I got to a level that challenged me. Very, very cool. And so this was the time when you were – uh, difference was rec- recognized and rewarded, it seems. That probably came around, well, actually, it was recognized in then, but they don't tell you. You know, they didn't tell you in school that you were doing real good. They just said, come do this. <laughs> so you go in and you do this, and you wonder why everybody else is doing something else. So they were always sort of secretive about things. Which is probably good. Okay. And uh, when did you first start expressing your uh, uh, uniqueness and your creativity? Uh, because you're very artistic in how you uh, present yourself. You're very unique. Uh, and also you're an artist. Yes, sir. I wanted to be a writer when I started junior college. And the second year of junior college, this um, – second semester, I met the art teacher in my creative writing teacher's office, and he invited me to come do some drawings for for free. I didn't have to be in the class, and I was thinking about just the other day. I did these, all these drawings of these little guys mm-hmm. that were, if they were in real life, they would have been three or four feet tall, and they had huge heads. But they had, they didn't have a face. They had this large black disc or circle, whatever you want to call it, solid black in the middle of their face. Mm. And and I started going, that's like the it's a, sort of an abstract of the grays. Uh huh. And and I would do like piles of them and tons of them. There were always at least three in a picture, and usually they were more than that. So that's when I started drawing, and the year then, I'm sorry, I'm getting mixed up. I didn't draw for a while because I was still into writing, got through almost all of my English uh, major because I majored in English. I almost had my BS when I met this friend of mine who's still my friend named Mike Toshansky, and he is an art student. And he invited me over to his house and showed me some of his prints. And I was amazed because they looked like they were out of a magazine. I mean, the paper was a slick paper. It looked like it was printed commercially. That probably wouldn't actually be a compliment to him. But uh, so I wanted to do that, and I started doing printmaking. By the time I got my bachelor's degree, I had gotten a minor in art, and I switched and got a master's and an MFA in art. So I've got a bachelor's in English and a master's and an MFA in art. Oh, great. So you, you pursued that. That is fantastic. 
Sorry about that. I was looking for your uh, a video on uh, YouTube so I can include a link, but the music started playing right away. So I'll have to do that after. Yep. <laughs> well, thank you. That's okay. <laughs> so that's fantastic. Have... So you, you, you cultivated your art and uh, through discipline, you, you learned to uh, um, express it a, a lot better. What is the range of your uh, creativity? You, uh, you mentioned that you're a musician. And you're, you're a musician, draw. a writer, and I draw. I do art. I do painting, sculptures, video art. Uh, right now, I'm really involved in doing uh, covers for my songs. But all of oh, my wow. album covers are like pieces of art to me. And since fantastic. I started out, since I started out in printmaking, you know words have always had something to do with printing. Mm-hmm. So I started putting words in my art. And then, of course, I found out other people had done that too. But I'm always big on staying naive about whatever I'm doing. Like people compare my music to different bands, like sort of like Pink Floyd, but most of the bands I don't even know. Because I basically invented the kind of music I'm doing, at least for myself, though it has similarities to mm-hmm. EDM, trap, dubstep. And, and my music I, was in. I, I my like music that was. In, <laughs> well, of course, my art teacher, he, my uh, printing teacher. In college, he took me into his office and he said, "Who do you, uh, what do you know about art? Who do you know? Who are your favorite artists? And I said, uh, well, I know about Max Ernst because he did the Beatles album cover. And, of course, my <laughs> art doesn't look like Max Ernst. And he said, well, you should really look at stuff in art history so you don't go around inventing the wheel." And I didn't know what he meant until two years later when I started looking at art history. And then I went, oh, crap, I relate to a bunch of different artists, impressionism, a lot of things. I had invented them. (laughs) (laughs) But they were actually logical progressions. Uh Uh-huh. When did you discover the unearthly origin of uh, some of your inspiration? 2009. In in 2009, I was in my car in front of Walmart on the highway. It stopped at a stoplight, and a disc the size of a dinner plate that was made out of something uh, transparent and silvery like water, and it's actually it was a sphere. I always forget this. It was a sphere. And it started spreading out into a disc, and it ended up being a disc about four or five feet across and up and down. It was circular, and it looked a lot like the Stargate in the Kurt Russell movie Stargate, except it had Uh no frame. And it was swirling around, and I'm going, what the – I'm not even going to say what I said. And I'm I'm looking at it, and I, I close my eyes, and I don't see it. And I open my eyes, and there it is right where it was. I look around. And nobody in the cars, there are four lanes. Nobody saw it, was looking at it. And uh, I'd move my head from side to side, but it would stay right where it was. I was trying to determine if what I was seeing was inside of me. Mm -hmm. And then right before or about the exact same time that the light changed to green, the disc exploded without any noise, and it rained down upon the ground, except it disappeared about two feet off the ground. A week, I told a friend about this, and he went, "Uh uh-huh. And he he studied UFOs and stuff, although I still wasn't putting that together. Mm -hmm. Well, a week later, on the exact same day, pretty much the same time because I was going home from eating dinner in town, it happened again, exactly the same way. Well, I called him that night and told him about it, and he didn't have anything to say. 
when we were walking at the creek the next day because we walked for exercise to try and stay healthy, and uh, I, I went into town. We walked. He never mentioned it. We got back to his apartment, and I said, hey, uh, what do you think about that thing I saw? And he said, well, you really want to know what I think? And I said, uh, yeah. He said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm sure. And he said, okay, I think you're an alien abductee. And I said, you're crazy. <laughs> and he uh, he turned around to his computer and he wrote down three addresses. And he goes, when you get home, you look these up and you read them. Well, I took the paper and went home and I threw it on my desk and I went and watched TV. And for three days, he kept bugging me and bugging me and bugging me to look those up. So I just went, well, he's never going to stop. So I looked it up. And the first one, it had like 92, 93 questions. And it said, if you answer the bulk of these is yes, then you're probably an alien abductee. At least you should research a little bit more. Uh So I got like almost... I think there were two, there were some questions that were only for women. I didn't get those. And I got all the others except for like two. Then I also found a link to PTSD that for some reason it drew my attention to it. And I'm going to say on the aside, I have found that they will draw me to certain things or put certain things in front of me, even on the internet, when they want me to know about it. Well, I looked at PTSD and I went, oh, crap, I've had that most of my life. And in wow. fact, in 85, I had it really bad. I had a complete, well, I had to stay in bed for about six hours a day meditating. I couldn't sleep uh-huh. or I would cry. But as long as I had my head covered up and had no input coming in from the outside world, I felt just fine, but it was just too much. And it turns out really the main thing that happens to you with PTSD is your adrenal gland and your thyroid gland crash or, or get low, you know, hypo, hypothyroid, hypoadrenal. And I've had problems with them lately. And that that's when I actually knew that that was the key function because before then I thought I had hypoglycemia. I went to a doctor and a psychologist for a year because the doctor couldn't find anything wrong with me, but he'd give me Valium, which worked, which he said was really weird because I was depressed and Valium is a depressant, but it made me normal. So okay. then he figured out the hypoglycemia and I changed my diet. I'd been a vegetarian for seven years. And in fact, I had to take Valium to eat meat because my whole life, my spirituality, everything was structured around being a vegetarian. And this I know was, a lot of course, before I knew. So I understand. So everything crashed out and changed, although I still stayed on the same path. It's just that I had to eat meat because he said, well, you can die. And I decided I didn't want to do that. Good. (laughs) (laughs) But so in 2009, that's when I found out I was an abductee. And um, about a week later, after this event, I went to bed, woke up in the morning, and I, I still had doubts. Stumbled to the refrigerator, and I was drinking Red Bull at the time because I didn't know how bad it was for me with PTSD. Uh, Anyway, I I pulled the can out of the refrigerator and changed hands with it to pop the top, and there was blood on it the the size of a postage stamp. I'm going, what? And I thought, for a second, I thought, wow, they should have cleaned this. (laughs) But then I looked at my other hand, and there was a puncture like someone had jabbed my hand with a pencil lid. And it had blood around it. Then I went in the bedroom and I found blood underneath my pillow. And I found blood 
on the bed underneath my pillow. So I'd lay on one side and then switch to the other side probably a couple of times during the night. Well, that that day I had pulled everything out of my closet to rearrange it. So I had to get into the bed from the foot. I had to crawl into the bed. So I thought, uh-huh. oh, okay, there'll be a blood trail. So I pulled the cover back. There was no blood. It was mm. only under the pillow. So something had been done to me in the bed. Well, I was pretty sure that that was an affirmation definitely of what I thought or what Ace had told me. Uh Uh-huh. I use a different name for him. So anyway, Frank, well, I decided Uh if they're getting, if they're getting some, they must be getting something from me. So if they're getting something from me, this relationship should be reciprocal. I should Very get something true. from them. Them. So, and I found out later I've gotten a lot from them. So I, I decided I was going to talk to them because I knew I had implants. I was pretty sure, and mm-hmm. I figured they could hear what I was saying. So, for seven days, I went out under the electric line behind my house, and I just walked back and forth. The first day, I had several different things I said, but I boiled it down to, I want to know what you're doing to me, if you're doing something to me, or if I'm crazy. And I just said that. Part of the time I thought it, part of the time I said it out loud, over and over and over. And I did it for five days, and I'm going, I'm going to keep this up until I die. If it takes 50, 60 years you're going to give me an answer. And then I kept doing it. Well, that Friday night I went and played guitar for the first time and sang at the country kitchen for the first time since high school. And mm-hmm. I forgot the word. I started forgetting the words to the songs. And this guy came up out of the audience of about 15 people, if that many. And he said, look, I play guitar professionally. Um, you get your words and I'll play for you. So we did the rest of the set, even though I had one oh, wow. run. And the last song we did, which I picked, of course, was Hey, Mr. Spaceman. Because <laughs> I just always loved that song. And uh-huh. uh, it, it was midnight or it was 11. So I loaded up all my equipment and came home and I was trying to go to sleep. And I couldn't go to sleep because I was still wound up from doing the uh, performance. So I decided to meditate because a lot of times that will make it where I can go to sleep. Uh-huh, I, I lay the there meditating. I lay there meditating, and suddenly I couldn't tell if I was breathing. Hmm. And I couldn't tell if my heart was beating. And I couldn't see any phosphines in my eyes. So I, I came awake just a little bit. And I I could tell my heart was beating. I could tell I was breathing. And then I just pulled right back down into it instantly. And then I'm laying in a hammock in a fairly dark room. I could still see in the room this hammock that was hung from side to side instead of end to end. And there were some blankets, one of them an old child's blanket, in the bottom of this hammock. And I don't know what it was made out of. It wasn't an earthly material. It almost looked like really thick parchment, but at the same time, that wasn't what it was. So I put my hands up above my head and grabbed hold of the opening and pulled myself out and plopped down on the floor, barefooted. Uh, and everything was really foggy. And uh, about that time, for some reason, I reached up to touch my face. And I realized I didn't have my glasses on. I didn't have my glasses or my clothes or anything. It was just like when I had gotten in bed. Then I heard a noise. There was an open door. In fact, I don't know if it could close. It didn't. It wasn't a swinging type door. If it closed, it came through the wall, or it just solidified. I don't know about that. But I I hear something moving outside the door, and I go, ah, expletive. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to see aliens or not. And then I was in another room on a metal table, and there were three grays just like I had seen 
1956 when I was a child, there were three grays at the foot of that table, and there was this tall being about six or seven feet tall, and he was about five or six feet from us. <laughs> he looked like a giant praying mantis wearing an ornate robe with a high collar and long sleeves. Wow. And then he says, and I was just getting ready to start freaking out. He says, don't be afraid. Well, he didn't say it. I heard his voice in my head. Don't be afraid. And I couldn't have been afraid if I'd have wanted to. He'd actually commanded my nervous system and my Mm -hmm. mind not just suggesting it. So I wasn't afraid. Then the picture turned the picture. All of a sudden I was sort of in my bed, even though I was still on the table. And I was looking at this holograph of me covering the wall in my bedroom, which was dark. And there was me on the table. It had turned to black and white. Then it zoomed in, like zooming in in a movie, where I could see myself at the end of this table from my knees up to my neck. And then it became x-ray. Wow. And and then they started with the anal probe. Then I woke up. I was, I was awake, and uh, I was elated, and I go – Wow, they they've shown me that I was on an alien ship. I can't uh-huh. believe it. And and then I went right to sleep. Now that's unusual that I went to sleep because I mean I was having a hard time going to sleep before this excitement had happened. Yeah. Went to sleep. Yeah. I woke up the next morning and I'm just I suddenly I, re- I remembered almost instantly and I was really happy and then I started crying. And I wasn't sad, but I cried, and I cried for about 30 minutes, and I couldn't stop, and I couldn't figure out why I was crying, and I thought, well, maybe something subconscious has been released. I don't know. So I quit crying. Well, actually, there was a break in the crying, and I grabbed this piece of paper, and I drew that creature in the road because I wanted to show it to Frank to Uh pretty much prove that this was just a dream. So I... Later that day in the evening, we walked again. Then when we got back to his house, his apartment, I showed him the picture. I I mean, I told him the story, and he's very quiet. And then I go, but this proves that it wasn't real. And I plop the picture down in front of him in his lap, and he takes it. He turns around and clicks on the computer. Then he moves away, and there's the same being drawn by a child who'd been abducted and it was called the mantis creature the mantis being so i knew what it was called and i knew it wasn't a dream yeah that that's pretty dramatic and uh uh, because of your custom of not allowing yourself to be influenced by what's out there uh it must have been very startling to you to know that uh, this type of being was part of the ufo lore yes it was so I, it was I, – I couldn't deny it at that point because abductees, contactees, whatever we are at the first, we usually try to deny everything because it's just too weird. And yeah. the way society was looking at us, especially in 2009, it's actually better now. Um, you know, they would have thought it was crazy if I'd told people. I, I got where I didn't talk around anybody, <laughs> and they uh, – they thought I was really quiet, and I was, because I knew if I talked, I knew what I was going to talk about. Right. <laughs> and in fact, one of the I'd sang more, I sang more at the country kitchen, and one of the people, and also the guy that helped me taught me bass, and I sang at uh, some country venues after that. But we were at dinner, and this one guy said. Byron there just sits there and doesn't say a word, and then he gets up and sings like a damn bird. (laughs) (laughs) 
So what is your current understanding? What, why are the aliens here and what do they want? Okay. Now, grays are just doing a job for somebody else. Okay. It, it is not their goal. As far as the way I have figured it out, the way I've understood it, and the way I see it. So I could be wrong, because I've noticed that somebody will tell you exactly what the aliens are doing, and then somebody will come along and tell you exactly the opposite. Right. And they <laughs> have some kind of proof for themselves to have said that, I'm sure. Well, I was – let me tell you something else before I answer your question. Okay. I had, I had had a reading done by a psychic in England, and she would send back a wave with the reading on it, and she read for David Icke. And that's where I found out about her because I happened to dabble in one of his books. Well, she said that, yes, I was definitely an alien I mean, a, an alien contactee. And, but then she laughs and she said, I, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but you're one of them. Mm-hmm. And I go, I go, oh, yeah. So a year goes by and everything she had told me had come true, except, wow. of course, that one, that one thing. So I thought, well, I'm going to at least meditate on it and see if I can figure anything out. So I started meditating. I thought about how I was different from everybody. I thought about all the things that had happened to me, which that set me off on another quest. And I thought, um, wow, maybe she's right, because I've always felt like I was left on my parents' doorstep. And all of a sudden, I believed it. I believed it emotionally and intellectually. And when you have two, two parts of you believing something, then you truly believe it. Whether it's true or not, you truly believe right. it. All of a sudden, these, it felt like two fingers, I was laying on the bed, reached up through the pillow apparently, pushed into my skull at the back, right where the, the spinal column hooks into the brain, and grabbed me and pulled me out. And my ego was going, I want to go. I want to go. I mean, it was really saying that. And I was totally separated from it. And I went, I don't think you're going to get to go. And then I was in this immense blackness. Once again, there were no phosphines. And I was a sphere, an orb. That's more the word for it, is an orb. Just like you see on ghost shows and everything. I was yes. an orb. I had 360-degree vision, though. I can't even wrap my head around that now and imagine what it was like, but I experienced it. And I was in front of this wall that went up forever and for infinity, up and down and side to side, made out of a sort of geometric grid made of light. And there were three people, three they looked like men in a way, but they were made out of light, and they were sitting in thrones, or I just judged them to be thrones, large chairs, also made out of light. And uh, one of them thought at me, and I, I could tell it that, well, first, after they came into vision, this voice said, the council of three and that was an introduction, apparently. And uh-huh. then the the one in the middle, and they looked like they would have been seven or eight foot tall if they were standing up. Of course, there was nothing really to judge size by, but I right. just felt that. Well, the, he thought at me, we're very proud of you. We've been waiting for you to figure this out. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I'm sort of stupid. Uh, no. And And then information started pouring into my head and it was going extremely fast. It was almost making a noise and I saw pictures, I saw words, I heard sentences, but they were all so fast I couldn't consciously, and in fact I didn't really have my ego with me to do it, couldn't 
do much with them. They were flowing into me, into my orbness. And then all of a sudden it stopped and I started moving backwards and I was being pulled backwards faster and faster. And I happened to look upwards towards my right side and I saw a cookie cutter image of me. It looked like a, a, you know, a plain flat cookie, only it was made out of fog, which was probably plasma. And it came swooshing in and right as I went into my body, it joined me and went into my body with me. Uh, I've talked to two or three psychics about that and they said that it was my higher self. Mm -hmm. Carol Clark said it was my higher self and that it had been there all this time, but I was going to need it for more things that I was going to do. That is so, that is a very profound and deep uh, experience. Uh, and yeah, uh, it blew my mind. Yes, yeah. I've had the experience with the orbs and the uh, total vision and the light. I've had similar experiences. Um, I do a lot of uh, meditating. I do a lot of uh, astral work. Uh, I do a lot of etheric work, uh, as we've discussed on the, the telephone. So uh, these types of experiences are, are familiar to me. Uh, that is great. Right. You've had them. They, they really do give you a different perspective on things. Uh, and uh, although they do answer some questions, they open up the door for very many more. <laughs> yes. But a lot of the things they have told, they, you know, they downloaded into me. I think have came back out now, even though they seem to be my own thoughts. Mm -hmm. But of course they're in my brain. So they, in a way they are my own thoughts. Yeah. Well, so I started thinking, I mean, I knew I was an abductee and I started thinking about everything and I went, well, you know, I've been telling people all these weird stories about me all of my life of thinking, Weird things that have happened to me, like my my life has been I've almost died nine times, wow, from accidents, from different things, and something has swooped in to save me like i I would like to tell you one right now, if that's okay sure. yes of course i was I was in band at Henderson County Junior College, and this was uh 70, 71, 71, 72. Those were the four semesters. And I was in the band, and we were playing at the pep rally for homecoming. And they, we had a cannon that they always fired off. Well, we played. They did their talks. The cheerleaders did cheers. And then we played, and then it was over, and we were all just standing around talking. And this guy started talking to me that I... I knew who he was, but I didn't know him. And I thought, it's really weird that he's talking to me. We start talking, and instantly, another person taps me on my left shoulder. And I'm thinking, God, this is pretty rude. And I turn around to face him, and I'm getting ready to tell him, you know, that he shouldn't interrupt <laughs> me while I'm talking to somebody else. I'd never seen him before in my life. And he was about my age, in his 20s, and the cannon goes off. And I feel a gust of wind go across my back right above my pants uh, and my shirt where they were parted. It goes across there, and the guy that I was just talking to, I saw him crumble to the ground. And then Ooh. there were people all around us. And I'm looking, and he's wounded bad. The, can the, the guys operating the cannon had been overzealous, and they had put a double load of powder, which mm -hmm. wouldn't have been so bad except they put a double wadding in the cannon, and the rear of the cannon exploded, and it blew out a few bricks. It blew out three or four bricks in one building, two or three in another building, and one piece of it the size of a baseball, and I think it was like a softball, if I'm not mistaken, hit him. Ooh. Right in the waist, in the it it broke his pelvis. It would have hit me <laughs> in the center of my back. I mean, in the at the base of my spine. If Ooh. that other person 
hadn't talked to me. So I'm turning around to tell this guy that he probably saved my life, and there was nobody there. Oh. And it it was a small school, small enough that you would see people that you didn't know, but you'd see them, and so you would recognize them. Right. I'd never seen him before, and I never saw him again. And I don't think he was human. You said that the, they guide you uh, in various uh, ways and that they help you in various uh, uh, ways. Do you think that this uh, person was uh, uh, one of them and just uh, materialized uh, to divert you and save you from being hit? Yes. that's. The, I have no other explanation now. Everybody would tell me he must have been an angel. He must have been my guardian angel. Uh, maybe God sent him. And I was always going, oh, no, like, I maybe cussed too much for God to save me. And uh, <laughs> so now I had an incident that happened three years ago mm-hmm. that was very uh, dramatic to me. I was driving home once again from dinner, and it was pitch dark. It was black. And I'm on the highway, which the speed limit is 75 miles an hour. So I wanted to get up to 75 miles an hour, and I'm behind this truck. So I start to pass him. Well, he pulls out in front of me. So I patiently wait till he gets around the car because it's hard for them to do it. And we were in a flat spot. This put us going up a hill. I hit the accelerator. I got up to seven. I got up to 77 miles an hour. And I noticed, well, I'm going 75 at this moment. I noticed he's pulling into my lane. Hmm. And it was a big, big semi-truck with a big trailer. I mean, real high up. And I pull into the turn lane, in the center lane in the highway. And I notice he's coming into the center lane. And I go, if I stop, the back of his truck's going to hit me. So all I can do is just floor this thing and hope I get past him. So I did. And he stopped coming into my lane. We crested the top. We started going over the hill. And I go, what is that black line across the road floating in the air? I mean, I'm wondering what this black line is floating in the air. And then I go, oh, crap. Darn. I didn't say darn. It's Uh a semi. And it was blocking the whole road. Now, it turns out the very far right lane was filled with train axles that had and wheels that had fallen off of this semi. And I'm heading straight towards it, 45 feet away from it, going 77 miles an hour. Uh, well, I stand up on the brake, and the brakes go on and off, on and off, on and off, because they're anti-lock, which is probably good, or I would have flipped. But... Um, I look down, he smashes in to the rear of that, the rear where the wheels are, into the truck. And part of his front of his car, his truck flies across in front of me. Some boards fly off of the truck. They also go at an angle and don't come straight at me. And now I'm about 20 feet from it. And I said, are you, are you guys really going to let me die this time? And the truck instantly slowed down to zero in 20 feet from 60 miles an hour to zero wow. in 20 feet. And there was no inertial effect inside of the cab. Wow. My hat was still sitting. I had junk on the – I thought about laying down, but I had junk all in the seat next to me. Well, it didn't move, and so it was very light. I mean, mm-hmm. I've thrown my hat off of the seat many times just stopping at a stop sign regular. So that reminded me of the way they can move, move maneuver in their ships when we would be yeah. plastered against the wall and killed. So somehow they wow. did that in my truck. Now, you've written a book about your experiences. Uh, has the book been published yet? Yes, I think it was in 2015. In fact, that's when I realized I might as well talk to everybody about it because how can you keep something a secret when it's on Amazon, you know? (laughs) And the book book is Chosen, 
Chronicles of an Alien Abductee, because at that time I considered myself an abductee. But after a while I went, I've been abducted for so long, I don't think that word fits, and I decided I was a contactee and an experiencer. So I use those two terms because I do get contacted, and I do have experiences. So you don't consider yourself an abductee anymore? No. I think I probably go with them voluntarily. It sounds like it. It sounds like you know that you can communicate with them and that they watch uh, very carefully over you and uh, that they intervene on your uh, behalf. So that, that sounds like uh, uh, much more than the uh, uh, abductive experience that most pe- people describe, which uh, seems very disempowering. Uh, and the people uh, uh, compare themselves uh, to feeling like uh, lab animals. That, that does not yeah. seem to be what's going on with you. No, I I did get to talk with them a few times psychically after two th- after the experience with the anal probe after being in their ship. One of one of them talked to me, but he'd never say anything important, and I kept trying to figure out how to phrase my questions where I could get information. And so I thought I had the perfect question, and I said. Why did you save my life so many times? And he said, and of course I mean telepathically, he said, We want you alive. And then he left. Hmm. I'm going, That's not an answer. Of course you (laughs) want me alive. (laughs) You would have let me die. That was them saving my life so many times because it was eight times before that truck. That was. that was what helped me cope with it all, all of a sudden, because I'm going, one day I was going, damn, I wish they would leave me alone. There's no telling what I could have done if they hadn't been bothering me. I'd be dead. <laughs> so I went, oh, okay, I'm glad. <laughs> I mean, it's now, hard to overact. Most people who consider themselves uh, contactees Uh, feel that they've been assigned a a mission uh, or a particular uh, task or uh, destiny. Um, Have um, have you been assigned any such assignment? I believe writing my book, I'm a communicator. So I've written my book. I talk to people about it. I talk to people in grocery stores. I talk to people on Facebook. I, I help abductees who are new who are sort of freaked out i help them begin to adjust to it and i always encourage them to talk to them and to try and find something maybe that's a positive thing about it after all i've been hurt a lot worse by earth doctors than by them Uh and what you just said uh, sounds like uh, an interesting show. Maybe the next time you're on, we could uh, talk about what if someone uh, finds themselves uh, having these experiences, doesn't know what to make of them, um, and uh, um, you know, how can they uh, start understanding what's happening to them, come to terms with it, and use it uh, as a productive uh, a part of their life, something empowering rather than disempowering. Right. I, I, of course, I take it one case at a time with each person I'm talking to. But, um, yeah, that, that would be an interesting subject. And now, how does it feel having uh, like a, um, what you described as uh, the aliens to watch over you? As you pointed out, some people describe it as angels. Some people might uh, describe it as spirit guides or um, you know, their, their dead family who looks over them. Um, how does it feel to have that company in life, to know that you're not alone? It feels great. <laughs> I mean, they've—I've realized they found me jobs. They or they've put me in the right place to get a job. They've kept me from killing myself. Like when I had the hypoglycemia and didn't know what it was, I was going to a psychologist, and there were 
three periods where I felt like committing suicide. Mm. I woke up each morning and I put my gun on my chest, a pistol, and I went, is it really going to be worth going? And then I've got one day I went, no, it's not. And I thought, well, I'm going to call my therapist. And if I can see him and talk to him, I won't do it. Well, I called him and he said, you know, I never have any cancellations, but the person just called and canceled. So come on in. Oh, so wow. In and he, hypnotized, he hypnotized me to hang on to life. Well, this happened three times. And the third time after I got there and I was sitting in his chair, he said that again about never having cancellations. And he said, I think somebody's watching out for you. <laughs> wow. So, and, and I've always felt like something, of course, I thought it was sort of spirit, spiritual, was helping me because in, at the last minute, Something will save me. Like I had cancer when I was two and a half. I had a sarcoma, and I was supposed to die from that. And I'd had it for about a year, and that was in 1952 where all they did was surgery. Well, the doctor was surprised I was still alive. But my cancer, sarcoma, is spreads uh, throughout your whole body really fast. Mine grew into my bladder just into a blank space instead it grew the wrong direction i think they kept it from growing into me into my body awesome in, in fact he said i shouldn't even be alive now and they operated on me the next week wow and i was two i was two and a half i only remember one or two little things from that particular episode and the, the aliens take the shape of the greys when they're interacting with you. Well, mostly I've seen the greys, but they don't really do much except stand around. And the manis is the one that's talked to me. But I've seen, like one of the times I was going to kill myself and I wasn't going to the therapist. I had, I had tried to get this job in college, and then and I had a good chance of getting it as a, an assistant teacher but I didn't take it because I wanted this job as a printmaker in Austin because that's where I wanted to be. Well, a week before I was supposed to go to Austin, I called and I got to talk to the person that owned the building because Mr. Sargent had split, taken everything and was two months arrears in his rent. So mm. I fell into depression. We got a job delivering newspa newspapers at night. I thought that would be good. We, it turned out to not be what the woman said. It took much longer. It was destroying our car. The car started messing up. The steering wheel started jerking from side to side to side, you know, back and forth, back and forth. So we delivered all the papers like that, but it took almost all night. Went home and went to bed. And these, I had this dream, and there was this small, there was this, not small, a big glass cabinet an old style one, wood and glass at the foot of my bed. And these three or four little guys, they were only about a foot tall, but they looked sort of like soldiers. And they looked a lot like the guys that came and got Whitley Strieber in his movie. Uh, but they were smaller. And they would pop up and they would go, he's coming. And then they would be gone, and then another one, and over and over. And I'd wake up, and I'd go back to sleep, and the same thing, he's coming, he's coming. Well, the next night, my, uh, we quit that job, even though she said, well, I'm not going to pay you. I told you I wasn't going to pay you if you didn't finish the week. And we said, we don't care. So we go home, and we go to sleep, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm a failure. I'm, I can't do anything. I'm, I'm mm. killing myself. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to go out in the woods by my house and shoot myself. So I managed to go to sleep. And then this dream, I drove and drove and drove, me and Barbara, all over town where we delivered papers. We drove and drove for hours. And then we stopped at this friend's house who lived on a hill. And I was talking. We were all talking. We were sitting at a picnic table. And I went in. I could decide to go in the backyard. I go in the backyard. 
and there's a chain link fence where there never was one, and there's this glass case. And I go, wow, this is weird. And I go over to the glass case, and then my attention is drawn to this little head that was on the base of it uh, with a big nose and sort of funny looking in a way, about three inches high. And all of a sudden it turns into a six foot human being, very skinny, almost scary looking, but he didn't sound scary. And he didn't, excuse me, he didn't feel scary. And he said, don't kill yourself. We have schools for you. And then his body disappeared and he turned into a crystal skull. And I'd never heard of a crystal skull at that point in time. And flew off. was gone. And I woke up and I told my wife, I just had the weirdest dream. And she said, so do I. It turned out we had the same dream. Except when we were in a car in their, their yard and instead of a picnic table. And when I went into the backyard... They got afraid because the landlord was coming, and they crawled under the car and hid, and they saw a man's feet walking towards the backyard. Wow. And then we woke up and told each other the same dream, basically. On that traumatic note, we're going to have to wrap up today's conversation. We'll have two minutes more, and I'd like for you to share your contact information. I put a link to your book, and I'll put up a link to your music on the uh, Facebook, uh, not Facebook, I'm sorry, YouTube as well. Uh, and I'd like to continue this uh, conversation. I'm very intrigued and uh, would like to explore more. How can people get in contact with you? How can they enter your wonderful world? Well, they can get in contact with me through Facebook. I have two different Facebook pages. One's basically for music and the other one is for just everything. And I think if they look at Bauer and Lacey, they're probably going to find me. Okay. Or they can go to my website and you can send me an email from there and it's just www.byronlacy.com and you've already posted that. I just remembered. Yes, I, I, I posted a link to the website. I didn't know that you had two uh, uh, Facebook pages, but I'll look for that and I'll post a link to that as uh, well. And uh, I'm really looking forward, uh, again, to learning more about you and your experiences. Uh, um, learning from you because uh, every person who has these type of experiences has like pieces of a puzzle. And I find that by talking yes. to people, the puzzle uh, kind of fills in. So uh, uh, that's uh, part of what the goal is for this uh, particular um, show is to, to talk to a lot of people having a lot of different experiences. And you've also explored the etheric and the astral uh, you mentioned uh, David Icke, so uh, there's a lot of fertile ground for, <laughs> for us to venture into and uh, compare uh, notes. So we're going to be doing that uh, uh, starting with uh, next time. Okay, that sounds great. And there should be references to it and all that stuff I sent you, especially in the book. I, I will be uh, reading all of that and listening to your music. Uh, and this way, I, uh, next time we talk, I'm sure there'll be even more to explore. Byron, thank you so very much. I enjoyed this conversation uh, greatly, and I look forward to its uh, continuing. Thank you for being so generous with your experiences and, uh, and sharing them with others. Very much appreciated. Thank you for having me. I had a wonderful time. Thank you. Um, And thanks to everybody who joined us on Hercules and the Space Gods, which will continue in an hour on our other channel. Uh, Until next time, this is us wishing you joyous journeys, amazing adventures, and a healthy and happy uh, new year. We're going to close with Evolve by Bone Poets Orchestra. Talk to you guys soon.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.